welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue Jeremiah with chapter 17. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. While their children remember their altars and their asherim beside every green tree on, on the high hills, on the mountains in the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Thus says Yahweh, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from Yahweh. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh, whose trust is Yahweh. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, Yahweh, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by justice. In the midst of his days they will leave him, and at his end he will be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Yahweh, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken Yahweh, the fountain of living water. Heal me, O Yahweh, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, Where is the word of Yahweh? Let it come. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Thus said Yahweh to me, Go and stand in the people's gate, by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say, Hear the word of Yahweh, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who enter by these gates. Thus says Yahweh, Take care for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck, that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares Yahweh, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings, 
and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall be inhabited forever. And people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the Shephelah, from the hill country, and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of Yahweh. But if you do not listen to me, to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. This is the word of the Lord. So chapter 17 for us, as we look at the text together today, begins with the hardness of heart that is found in the people of Judah, that it is described as written with a pen of iron or a diamond engraved into the tablet of their heart. So the idea of chiseling words into a stone that cannot be undone, permanence, not removable, so it is that their sin is upon their heart. They are so entrenched in their sin, their hearts are so hard, that they will not listen to the Lord. The horns of their altars are referenced here. Their altars is important. It's a distinction from God's altar. The Lord does have two altars, the incense altar in the temple, but also the offering, the burnt offering altar that's out in the courtyard. And these did have horns. I don't recall a very specific mentioning of the function or the purpose of the horns, although they were to put the blood of their sacrifices on them as a, a connection here, and that the Lord would forgive sins. They were also able to go to the Lord's temple if they were seeking shelter, and they could put their hands on the horns, and no one could harm that man if he was holding on to the, the altar of God. So it is that they have their own, their own altars, their own horns, their own symbols of this sort of power, perhaps is what a horn typically represents. So while this is going on, their children are not repentant either. Their children simply remember what mom and dad have done. And this is a frequent idea of scripture, that the children will follow their parents, and thus the, the children are to be taught the way of the Lord by the parent, especially by the father. Starting Exodus chapter 12 and 13 speak that way about celebration of the Passover. Why have this holy day to celebrate every year? To teach your children the faith. Well, they taught their children the wrong faith. They've got all these various altars. Their children know the false gods that their parents have worshipped, but they don't know Yahweh. They know the Asherim, which are used in worship of the false gods. They, they know to go to the, the green trees and the high hills, which is where you go to worship pagan gods, not to the temple. And so God is going to punish them by taking all of their wealth, all of their fortune, all the things that they love away from them. Strip away all that they have because it's all a trust from him and they've neglected, they've abused it all. So he's going to give that up as a spoil uh, for the price of their, their sin throughout their territory. I saw similar language a couple chapters ago. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave you. So the picture that they are holding on to the promised land, but their hand is going to be removed from it. They are removed out of the land. They will instead be carried off to Babylon, where there's a fire that is kindled and shall burn forever. 
We saw that language back in chapter 15, verse 14 as well. That's the kind of image for us in our mind as Christians of hell. The judgment of God, when it is permanent, certainly is a reference to hell. This exile will not be permanent, a 70-year duration, which we'll learn later on here in the book of Jeremiah. Verses 5 through 8 are going to set up a contrast. 5 and 6 are the man you don't want to be. 7 and 8 are the man you want to be. So there's a, there's a great connection to the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 1 speaks this way. Uh, so give that one a look. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from Yahweh. This is a temptation that we wrestle with, and it's a problem that this country, Judah, has wrestled with before. First Samuel chapter 8, when they demanded a king so they could be just like all the other nations, they put their trust in man, and it failed them. And we have that problem today. We put our trust in men. We put our trust in earthly kings, even if we don't call them kings. First Samuel 8 applies. We put our trust in men. We make flesh our strength, and that's a reference to our own strength. So not just man as authority over us, but we we trust in ourselves too. I put a roof over my head. I put food on my table. I take care of my family. And that's all wrong. It's all trusting in me, and that just leads to destruction. It's the Lord who provides all such things, but that's the next paragraph. He's like a shrub in the desert will not see any good. A shrub in the desert is just going to die. Uh, It's not going to grow green. Dwell in parched places like an uninhabited salt land. Things don't grow in salt. In fact, there have been some some armies in the history of creation that have so thoroughly destroyed a land that they also spilt salt behind them as they went through the land to make sure nothing could grow there again. Here's your contrast. Blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh, whose trust is Yahweh. I'll go back to Psalm 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. I'll skip a few lines there, but his delight is the law of Yahweh. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Can you see the connection? Again, Psalm 1 is an excellent fit for this little section here of, of Jeremiah 17. So if you want to be blessed, if you want to... Well, we can use the word saved. I mean, delivered, preserved. Trust in Yahweh. Trust in God, the one who provides all things. He is the author of all things. He is the creator. So the one who trusts in Yahweh, the one who puts his hope there, the one who looks for his provision to come from there, his daily bread as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, he's like a tree planted by water. There's There's no lack of growth. There's no lack of provision. It will always have water. It can just reach down its roots into the stream. That tree doesn't fear the heat or drought because, again, it has all that it needs. This is the Christian not needing to fear persecution or the devil's attacks because we have what we need. Ephesians 6 talks that way, the armor of God kind of language. Um, 1 Peter as a whole or the book of Revelation as a whole, talk that way about persecution. Jesus talks that way about persecution. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, blessed are those. right? Read those blessings, including blessings about being persecuted. The Christian doesn't fear these things because we have Christ. And if the world kills me, I'll be with Jesus. He will raise me from the dead. I mean, this is 
This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Paul could go on preaching despite everything the world was throwing at him because he knew that he would rise. If they killed him, Jesus would raise him from the dead. He would be with his Lord forevermore. It does not cease to bear good fruit. A reference sometimes to good works, sometimes simply to faith. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. This connects to Genesis chapter 6 verse 3, that the formings of the thoughts of the hearts of men were nothing but evil continuously. I'm going to point you to the idea here, and this is a good family conversation because it's been so prevalent over the last couple of generations. Has anyone ever told you to just follow your heart? When you read verse 9, is following your heart a good idea? The answer to that, as you read God's word, the answer to that should be a glaring no. We are not to follow our heart, we're to follow God. Our hearts are still wicked, still filled with evil things. The Lord is making us new. He has made us new, but it's a now and a not yet. We are redeemed in Christ. Christ dwells in us. But if we're honest with ourselves, temptation doesn't just come from outside of us. You lock me in a room, in the dark, take away anything, I've got nothing, I'll still be tempted. It's not just the world that tempts us, but it's our own sinful nature as well. It's the simultaneously saint and sinner thing that we wrestle with as Christians. We are not perfect, and so we should not be following our heart. We should be following the Lord and seeking his ways, for they are truly good. Verse 10, Yahweh searches the heart, tests the mind, so he knows what is in our heart and mind, and he judges us accordingly. John the Baptist, Luke chapter 3, verse 9, saying that the axe is already laid at the root of the tree to be cut down. This is what we deserve, but praise the Lord, thanks be to God that he has redeemed us. Verse 11, like a partridge gathering a brood she did not hatch. So the picture of a a bird gathering to itself a chick, uh, a baby that is not its own. So it is for the one who gets riches in this world not by justice. It is theft and it is taken from him. Just as verse 3 talked about how God would strip away all these treasures from these people. Well, so it is for this man. He will be a fool at the end. Just as the bird that raised another bird's bird. Yeah, that worked, right? (laughs) Just as one bird might raise another that is not its own, that little bird is going to grow up and leave. And so it is for man in this life. The The wealth that he put his trust in will be stripped away from him, and he will have nothing. He will simply be a fool. Verse 12, the throne is set on high. It is our sanctuary, so the temple of God, for all to see, all to look at. Yahweh is the hope of Israel. And so Jeremiah prays that all who who forsake him, all who abandon him, all who do not seek Yahweh, that they would be put to shame, that they would be buried is the referent of the idea that they would be written in the earth because they've forsaken Yahweh, the fount of living water. So that connects back to verse 8 above. Blessed is the man who's like a tree planted by water. Also connects to John 4, the idea that Jesus will give to this woman living water, the woman at the well. And that's a connection we make to baptism, but also just God's ongoing provision, his care for us, the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom that knows no end. To be cut off from God is to be cut off from life. All right, we're running short on time. We're only halfway through the chapter here. So 
Jeremiah again praying for deliverance from his enemies, from the challenges he's facing. He's feeling the wound, but he, he knows that the Lord will save him. So he prays to him. Verse 15, he acknowledges that the, the false pagan worshiping peoples of Jerusalem and Judah have challenged the Lord. Uh, where is the word of Yahweh? Let it come. There's a boldness to that challenge, like God's word can't do anything to them, like they're safe from it. Jeremiah in verse 16 indicates that he has not ran away from being the shepherd, like Jonah, when he was told to go to Nineveh, ran away. Jeremiah hasn't run away, he's done it. The next phrase, that he has not even desired the day of sickness, almost sounds like a sick day. He has not called off of work. He's gone. He's done the work. You know what came out of my lips, which would be God's own word. Jeremiah has been faithful as a prophet, so he prays that God will be his refuge, which that day of disaster is coming, and God will be his refuge and his strength. Verse 18 then, let those be put to shame who persecute me. We're going to see more on that when we get to chapter 20 in a couple of days. But let me not be put to shame. So to be put to shame is essentially to be humiliated, to be embarrassed before your enemies. And in the case of the faith, it is for our, our faith to be shown to be in vain. First Corinthians 15, Paul picks up on this before he gets into the, the meat of the resurrection. If, if, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is in vain. We're still stuck in our sins and we should be pitied above all people. Uh, so it is here. Jeremiah does not want to be put to shame. He wants the Lord to care for him, provide for him, protect him as the Lord has promised that he will. Jeremiah even prays for double destruction, and we saw that in chapter 16, verse 18, the Lord promising double for their sins. All right, then we get to the speech of the Lord here at the end of the text. He he commands Jeremiah to go to the people's gate, which is one of the various gates. They had several that people would come in and out of the temple courtyard. So approaching the Lord's house, although it has been turned into a house of idols, And it doesn't matter who, great and small, the kings of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, anyone that enters by this gate. Verse 21 reminds you the prophet's work to speak the words of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, take care for the sake of your lives. Do not bear a burden on the Sabbath or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. So here is a reference to keeping the commandments. You can ask your children as we talk in verse 22 about the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath day holy. What commandment is that? Right, test their their understanding of the catechism, the word of God here, and then go go further. Right, we ask that question: What does this mean? See if they've got that one memorized. Work on it a little bit. So, the third commandment: Remember, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, so that we do not despise preaching in His word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. That's a good conversation for a family to work on, a good memory work as well. God gave this command to their fathers. They didn't do it, and they stiffened their neck instead. The the farming illustration that the ox, wherever its head is pointed, that's the direction it will plow. That's the way it will walk. So a stiff-necked animal is not of use to a farmer. It won't go where the farmer wants. It'll just go wherever it wants. God's people have been stiff-necked. They have not received his instruction. They just do whatever they want instead. But there's a promise here that if if they keep his commandments, 
God will bless the city of Jerusalem so that it keeps going. Verse 25, to the point where this city shall be inhabited forever. The New Testament era, the time of Jesus Christ when he comes, this is what the people expected. They expected Jerusalem to be a city of God forever. They expected the Messiah to be an earthly king who would set up this glorious new kingdom, taking it back from Rome. The contrast is the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city described in Revelation chapter 21, which is actually not a city, but the church. Just as we sometimes we'll use the word church to refer to a building and other times to a people, the new Jerusalem isn't a place, it's a people. Revelation 21 does make that clear as you read not just the first couple of verses, you've got to get down to verse 8 or 9 to see that connection. So the promise, if they repent, he would restore them. But if they don't repent here at the end of the text, verse 27, if they do not listen to me, I will kindle a fire in its gates. It shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. So if they listen to the Lord, if they keep his commandments, people will come and go from Jerusalem. But if they don't, there won't even be a Jerusalem. And that destruction is coming. And within a few years, that's exactly what God knows they're going to do, that they won't repent. He gives them the opportunity anyway. He speaks this word so that when they reject the word, it is quite clearly of their own doing, their own fault.